Welcome to this live stream. Today we are going to celebrate Black History Month. We've got three outstanding guests with us. One more might join us. We're waiting for one more, so we'll see. But I want to introduce our guests and just take some time today to really uh, focus on the great achievements of Black Americans here in the great United States of America. And so I'm going to put on full screen as I introduce him here, but Mathur Alier, I believe, uh, he is the chairman of the Fargo Humans Relations Committee, does some great work in Fargo Public Schools as well. You get a chance to hear more about that. Uh, Richard Pillay is with the F5 Project. And also we've got our good friend Raheem Williams, economist, and, and been with us before. So it's all three of you. Thanks so much for doing this. And I think it's such an important conversation. Raheem, I'm going to start with you. If you want to just take a few moments maybe to introduce yourself and then talk about what, what does Black History Month mean to you? Uh so my name is Raheem Williams. I'm an economist and a political commentator, social commentator. And some people agree with me, some people don't. Uh, what Black History Month means to me is, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, I am of the thought that Black history is American history and it's every day, not just one month. So it's just a moment to emphasize those things. But uh, Black history is important year round. Amen to that. Matura, let's go to you, sir, and uh, give us a little bit about your background and what does Black History Month mean to you? I am uh, Matur Alier. I am a chair, the chair of Fargo Human Relations Commission. I'm uh, also director of equity and inclusion with uh, Moorhead Public School. Black history means a lot to me. It means like uh, it's a, a month that I look back to who I am and, uh, and how Black people came to this point in this country. So it means a lot. And Matur's being humble, folks. Uh, Matur, share a little bit about your story because you shared with us before we went on online, but originally from South Sudan and just your journey here to Fargo. Yeah, I was uh, I was born in South Sudan. It's the newest nation in the world. They got the independent from Sudan in 2011. I was born there and I flee to a refugee camp in Ethiopia where I uh, spent about 10 years in a refugee camp before coming to America. First landed in Philadelphia, uh, Pennsylvania. I uh, lived there and uh, worked there. I went to school there, went to Penn State University and moved to Fargo and work here as a social worker for almost six years. Wow, well, welcome to the community. And if you don't mind, and Richard, obviously we're gonna get to you, but I just think there's yeah. so many questions because so few people obviously have, have been inside of a refugee camp. You were there for 10 years, which I can't even fathom. If you don't mind, just share a little bit about like your experience and, and why 10 years? Is that normal or? Uh, yes, there are some people that were born there and still live there till this day. I was just lucky and fortunate enough to get a chance to come to America. Uh, refugee camp is a, it's a place for people fleeing from their country due to war or prosecution. So the life there is a, a little bit different because uh, you don't get a chance to work. You uh, just live in a camp where you get provided everything, sometimes not enough. You used to get like, a, a, I think, five pounds of, a, of, a, of rice a month and uh, have to live on that and budget that out to 30 days or I won't have anything to eat later on. So it was pretty difficult, but you get used to it living there. So wow, that was so you can't work. Maybe we'll come back to that, but I I didn't know that. So 
please continue to share more of that story. And Richard, let's go to you and just share a little bit about your background and what Black History Month means to you. You would think I'd have this down by now. <laughs> got you, my friend. <laughs> uh, so my name is Richard Palais, and I'm the uh, the director of development for the FI Project, uh, which is a nonprofit uh, in North Dakota that helps people all across the state who are transitioning out of jail and prison get back on their feet. Uh, for me, Black History Month is is such a a unique time, and it's probably like one of my uh, one of my most favorite times of year, if you will. Uh, outside of like Christmas and my birthday, of course. But I think uh, for me, Black History Month is is such a time to be able to celebrate. And I, I try to use it to celebrate, you know, the, our pioneers and our pillars of our of our Black community. But I really like to focus and really try to, to educate and try to be aware of Black History Month, it, even though it's only 28 days, it's every month in February. There's still Black History Month. There's still Black history being made every single day. And so as much as it's, it's given for this specific month, I think it's something that we should we should always continue to celebrate, and that's something that I, I always try to celebrate and always try to 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 share and to try to just educate. So for me, it's it's not just twenty eight days in February; it's Black History Month is every day. Yeah. So so what what does your hat say? It says make what? Uh, it says make house black again. So what am I missing? What <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, a well. This hat originally was a kind of a. That's inside joke, but uh, it actually was uh, made by uh, a DJ or a producer who, um, in the music realm, you know, wanted to, you know, it's predominantly electronic music. It's predominantly occupied by, uh, you know, folks of more fair skin, if you will. And so there's there's definitely a growing significant number of producers and DJs and different people who are of African American and who are are really trying to to garner in that area of music. And so they created this this movement of this theory to make house black again is because a lot of the influences that house music has, it takes from uh, jazz, it takes from R and B, from funk, from rap, a lot of things that were originally created uh, in Africa. So it's, uh, this is kind of a, a, just a tongue in cheek way to really be able to showcase and really be able to say, Hey, this music, you may know, you know, you may recognize certain people, but there are more people out there who are doing, you know, doing more unique things. I want to get each one of your point of view on this, because this is something that uh, whenever I, I, I talk to my black American friends, I struggle with the fact that in our nation's birth certificate, and I'm going to read some of this to you guys and we'll have the conversation. But it says we hold these yeah. truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And I read that from 1776. And I think, man it took us almost a hundred years just to get rid of slavery. They're like, how, how can we write that and then take so long and then took us to 1960? Like, it just seems it shouldn't take that long, right? And then also one more thing to, to start the conversation in our preamble to the constitution says, we the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. So Raheem, I'm gonna go back to you. Just your thoughts on, on the, the, the in, unbelievable amount of time it takes to actually try to live up to this and how are we doing as far as a more perfect union in your point of view well uh human society on this earth is a story of advancement and development right so uh we're not perfect today and we weren't perfect 300 years ago 400 years ago 250 years ago is it does is 
this is us basically building towards a greater thing. And what you see in our founding documents, um, more so, more often than not, is this high idealism. It was a bar to strive towards, to build towards. It was never ever saying that we know for a fact right now today, everybody is created equal, because that's still not true. But the idea is to bring that closer to truth. It's somewhat similar to Christian doctrine. It's like, yes, we do sin, but that does not mean you stop trying to become a better person. And um, it, it, the idea is to create heaven on earth. We recognize that that is clearly not the case, but that does not mean you are not a Christian, right? So it's, it's, it's basically uh, something to build towards. It was the founder setting a bar high, uh, a, a bar that the, they themselves did not meet at the time. Mm -hmm. And our nation is, is better off because that bar was set in the way it was and that we still attempt and try to build towards that. We just had Leon Francis join us, gentlemen. So we will get to Leon in a moment. But Richard, I want to go to you and just your take on you know the timeline and how are we doing this forming a more perfect union. Yeah, and I appreciate Rahim bringing up this, that that high bar, that high standard that was set by our founding fathers because I think it's interesting to think of when that at the time when that was written, we wouldn't be able to have this conversation. Like we would not be able to be in the same room and be able to talk with you, Chris, to be able to share our opinion. Our, our opinion did not have any sort of value at the time. And how, as you mentioned, it took a significant amount of time to be able to get better. But I think in, in understanding, just taking the word for what it is and created equal, like, yes, from out, out the womb, we are all humans. We are all babies. We all come in, we come into the world the same way. But depending on what you're, Unfortunately, in America, depending on what your skin color may be or what your economic background might be, that's where the divide changes. We start the creation. Once, as soon as you take that first breath, we are starting as humans. We are starting from the same place. But where we're going, where we're going to eventually end up is very, very different. And so I think that it, it does take time. It does take a lot of time to be able to right a lot of wrongs. It does take some time to really be able to be educated, to learn to ask questions, to, to have shared experience, to build empathy. There's a lot more that, that has to happen, that did happen. And so thankfully we're in a great place that where we don't, or we aren't where we were 300 years ago, but I still believe that we have a lot, a lot more to go and a lot more change that needs to happen. So with that being said, I'm curious, what, what are some things you like, hey, Chris, if we could, if I had a magic wand, these are the top one or two things I would change right now to make a difference. I think one thing that, that we try to strive for, that's definitely something we see in our organization at F5, is just access. Um, giving, giving a person access to information, giving, when you think about, you know, transportation, right? So whether you're taking a bus or if you're taking, if you're in a car or whatever your mode of transportation is, depending on what that transportation is, will get you to your destination faster. So, for example, I think if, if I'm born without if I'm born in, in a Section 8 housing, I don't have access to probably the best of schools. So I wouldn't have access to having the best education I possibly could. But if I was born in the if I was born in a better neighborhood and I had access to better education, I'm going to be inherently smarter. I'm going to be able to inherently know more. So I think one thing that I wish that if I could have a magic wand, I wish education would be available and that, that everyone would be able to have access to education, regardless of where you're coming from. And we wouldn't have to have our school systems that are struggling, that are, that aren't telling, that aren't sharing the full amount of history, but that aren't, you know, whatever your school that you're going to, whether it be, you know, you can take it from college, NDSU, UND, Concordia, of course, there's things different. But looking at it from the elementary perspective, 
our elementary school kids aren't getting the same education depending on where their school is as much as it's supposed to be. So, Richard, that was a perfect lead-in to, to Mature. mature. I, I'm going to come mm-hmm. back to the original question, but just your thoughts, what you heard there from Richard yeah. regarding education and since you're in the education system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Richard and uh, Rahim put it pretty well. You know, those were documented in the Constitution, but they didn't get to everybody. And uh, we had uh, a lot of people resistant to those law. And, and, and that's the way human le- lived. So, like, uh, human life have evolved from different stuff, from being treated with mm-hmm. the color of your skin to, to being treated from what you look like to this day. It's still going on, We, but it's not like it was before. And that's where we lead to this conversation to how do we make our school better? How do we uh, incorporate our cultures into educations how do we uh, incorporate fair treatment within our school regardless of what we look like or or where this child lived so that's where we are today there's is bet we are in a better place than the people that were slavery back in 1600 1800 it took us years to be where we are today but we still have more work to do the word got out the word got in the book but we still feel a lot of resistance to this day to those laws. So, Leon, we're going to get you mature. I want to stay with you because for for myself, I'm not going to speak for everybody watching tonight, but the fact that you were in a refugee camp for 10 years, you had to flee your own country, like that is almost unfathomable for most of us. So uh, what's it like coming to the United States? And as I read these founding documents to you about everyone's created equal, form a more perfect union, I'm curious, how are we doing, in your opinion? I think we are doing great. When I came in, I uh, before I leave the camp, because not everybody was in favor of leaving Africa and coming here. A lot of people were waiting that peace will come to our country, we will go back. And when a lot of people find out that I would be coming to America, that I would be slaves, that that story was still going on. People still go back. But the, tr- the treatment of black people is still the same in America. And I uh, just look at it and I say, you know, it is better now. And, and I think America will be better for me than than the refugee camp right now. So so coming here, there are people that had favored that way for me to be able to go to school of choice, regardless of what I look like, regardless of where I came from. There's people that favored the way that, you know, I would come in and just blend into the system, that I would be able to get a loan to buy a house, a, a, mm-hmm. a student loan to go to schools. Those were in there for the people that were born here. So so I choose that the life in America was better than the life in the refugee camp, and I know today it is. So just for clarity, you're saying that uh, over in Africa, there's people that still thought, hey, there's... There's actual slavery going on in America still. Yes, and 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 if you have watched the news and and with the police shooting, the word do get around than ever now. Like uh, the shooting can happen today in like five minutes. We'll hear about it from here that weren't there before because of the technology. The word is getting around. The the the, the racist issues are getting recorded and are going and are getting past it pretty fast and are getting around. So those the word do get there. The the word do get there. The media like now I can talk to people in my village. They have technology there. Uh, 
So, so, and there are people still think that is still going on, but we, the people that lived here, know it's still, it, it's not as much it was before. It is way better, but it could be better than it is. We'll, we'll talk about that. Leon, if you can lower your camera a bit, but uh, Leon Francis is joining us as well. We've had him on the show before, but Leon, uh, hopefully you heard the original question just about what our founding, like our birth certificate talks about. Hey, everyone's created equal. And yet it's taken us so long to get rid of slavery, voting rights. And how are we doing as far as forming a more perfect union, in your opinion? I think we're doing great um, now. Uh, what, so when I, I joined this conversation, we were talking about schools. And um, your guest uh, just uh, alluded to the fact that, you know, uh, we need better education and that sort of thing. So I'm going to make two points. One, on, on the schools. I don't think it matters as much as we would like to believe it matters. Um, it's your background. You know, I, I don't believe it's the the area in which you, you come from, if you're poor or whatever. And um, to back that up, um, Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School, uh, that's a black public school in, in Washington, D.C. In 1899, the students scored higher than their white counterparts in the same city. And they did. They had uh, much less to work with. They were dealing with actual racism and they were brilliant. It is the caliber of education. It is the caliber of student and the caliber of teacher that determine the outcome. It's the curriculum. It's how hungry you are for academic excellence. And I'll make this point. Our, Nigerian brothers and sisters are the most successful immigrant group in America. Now, their skin tone is darker than mine. So it's to me, it, it's not now um, melanin barriers in place for African-Americans in this country. It is us. There's introspection that is sorely needed. Um, the second point I'd like to make is the fact of the matter is, um, as an African-American, you're safer in America um, than any point in history on any place on the planet from like white oppression and white tyranny and that sort of thing. What where um, we sh and, and your, your guest alluded to this, the fact that you have like videos showing like um, um, African-Americans being shot or, or, or whatever. What they're not hearing about is the level of black on black uh, violence. Uh, the fact that 6% of our population commits 50% of the homicides and of the, that 50% uh, of the homicides, the vast majority of them are African-Americans on African-Americans. It is an appalling stat. It's more in a year than the entire um, um, uh, era of lynching, and not just by a little bit, but by huge gains. We, we, we have to start looking at ourselves and what we are doing wrong as a culture. Um, I would like to proffer that it sounds to me that every, like everyone here is on board with school choice. Um, I'm a conservative. I believe in school choice. I don't believe that the circumstances of your your home environment should dictate where you get an education. I believe that the dollar should follow the child. That means that if you are, uh, if, if I have children, my children all go to a uh, private school, um, 
on purpose because I think that uh, public schools are doing a, a serious disservice to African-Americans in this country. And, and I'm not, we can talk about that later, but the fact of the matter is um, the, I still have to pay for public school, even as I'm paying for private school for my children. What should happen is the federal dollars tied to my child should come to me so I can pick a school that I think better suits my, my child. I think that, in, in a nutshell, would help immensely with, with the education gap and the academic gap, and that will translate into um, economic um, um, prosperity. It will uh, translate to people moving out of the ghettos and the barrios and different places like that, that they are um, pretty much ensconced in generation by generation because you can't get out of this this, this hump, this poverty hump. I, I think I think implementing things like that, just pretty simple, you know, the money follows the kid. All right. I would definitely Leanne, like to interject. <laughs> yeah, well, I want to ask you, but Liam, people are asking that you look at the camera if you don't mind, so you can lower your camera. My camera is there you go. Oh, there you go. There, a lot better. A lot better. <laughs> go ahead, man. What do you want to say? Okay, so I want to um, I want to push back a uh, a few things. One, uh, on the whole, created equal and form more more perfect union. I think we have gotten a lot warmer to the idea that all humans are created equal. Uh, there's definitely still some lags there. Uh, a lot of people, especially uh, the abortion uh, is a right foolishness, is uh. The idea that some human lives are disposable you know, if you do it early enough. So we're still struggling with some of these concepts. And the more perfect union, as far as our political union, which I believe that's what it refers to as the states, that's also extraordinarily fractured at this point in time. So I'm not I'm not sure if I describe these things as going great. Definitely better than before by all by all means, but great, I feel like is a bit of an exaggeration. Also, Leon, I, I do feel like you were a little bit dismissive of racism. Racism is very much still a problem. I still do believe I am discriminated against, and I believe there are two kinds of racism I face. I face what you see as traditional racism, the stuff you see kind of like what CNN loves to emphasize, right? What the mainstream media loves to emphasize, which is there are people who do just fundamentally believe I am lesser because I am Black. I have talked to these people, and they have made this very abundantly clear to me to my face. Um, with that being said, I, I it's, it's just dishonest to pretend they don't exist. They are there. Do they have an effect and control over my life? Are they are they wielding my destiny? Absolutely not. Now there's a second kind of racism I face, and this is the this is the racism that white progressives pretend do not exist. That is to look at me like I am a charity case, that I am nothing without their white savior complex, that that as a poor black man or child from a difficult upbringing, that I, I need to be so thankful for them for caring about me while they do nothing but virtue signal. Uh, that's another racism. It's the racism of low expectations, which is this idea that the bar needs to be lower for black people to get over, that black people cannot achieve. And that, I believe, is to what Leon was um, pointing out, has actually done extraordinary damage in our educational system. And when you look at these charter schools that are that that put kids in the Ivy Leagues, one of the big things they have uh uh and Professor Roland Fryer of Harvard, his research pointed this out. Uh it's not really charter, public, or private school or homeschool that really makes a difference. It's discipline. And when you see those no no tolerance, no foolish charter schools, they put they put kids and often black kids 
into Ivy League schools at high rates. Uh, there's a school in Atlanta where they basically said that this school is going to produce the next Obama. Um, I would rather be the next Thomas Sowell, but you know, everybody has their different idols. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's very nuanced. We're, we're definitely still um, we're definitely still building. And it's like what I find the most difficult is that I need to get everybody to respect me as a as a capable man. And 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 different sides have different reasons for believing I'm not, whether they are left or right leaning. And and that's something that that is is very frustrating. Mature, I want to go to you because Raheem talked about how fractured the country is. I think it's blatantly obvious to all of us. But um, and Richard, I believe you were born and raised in the States. Right. So. Uh, tour for you, you know, coming into this country and seeing how fractured it is. I'm just curious if, if you said, hey, this is what I think the United States needs to do to heal and unify. What, what would you say? Yeah, I can. Um, I want to comment back on uh, education. OK, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I have a work now for a couple months in the school to see. So I have a. Uh, most of the stuff that goes on within the school, is, I, I would probably say about 80% are not intentional. And, and, and the reason I said that is one example I can give you is that, say a refugee kid came here from Africa. He's black and uh, he's 15 years old or 16 years old, never went to school in his own country or, and uh, never have any prior educational experience. And now it's coming here, he's going to be placed in class according to his age or her age. And, 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 and the school, they, ex they expect that person to graduate on time, cramming all the educational from first grade, from kindergarten, all the way to high school and expect that person to graduate within the four years is, is impossible. And, and that will count toward public school or the, the school that they goes to. Some other school have some other curriculum after school activities to try to breach that gap. But most most of the time, it doesn't get there. It doesn't get there. You got to learn the language. You got to learn the sign, the math, and then be expected to graduate it within that. You know, just like having a baby and, and expect that baby to, to to know everything before they go to school. It, it's impossible. So so and the school often get blamed for it, and that is not intentional. So so to add to that. Let's come back to your question. And I, I think when I sign up to volunteer as part of a Fargo Human Relations Commission to my view was like, how do we create an inclusive, vibrant community that recognize all her people? That was my point. And, and, and to do that was for me to get involved. And, and I applause and uh, proud of other people that got involved to Black Lives Matter, like one Fargo. They, they are for better cause. And, and I, I feel like, you know, the, this work should have been done prior to Martin Luther King time or to prior to other black people in, in, in American history. They're still there. And that's why you see these people getting involved and, and try to make that change happen. Because this change already happened from the constitution. You know, it was in the book, but it was not practiced. Not by the government, not by individual, but not by the city leaders. And that's what is still happening. The city can say, okay, we're going to do this, but we'll still have people that still treat people differently. They have jobs that treat people differently. So because of the color of your skin, we didn't choose to be black. I didn't choose to be born this way. 
just like Martin Luther King Jr. said. So I think we could be better if we have come to this point. It's better now, but I think we could do a lot more to, 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 to be in a better place. Yeah, we'll go around and just, you know, any suggestions, ideas on unifying healing right now because things seem to be so divided as Raheem alluded to. So Richard, any thoughts? Yeah, I think one of the uh, mature kind of uh, touched on this a little bit and, and definitely Raheem and Leon are, are talking about that is, is there's a lot of divisiveness, I think, within our own communities, I mean, regardless of what's necessary outside of us, us meaning uh, people of color or African-Americans specifically. I think one of the things that can, can start a lot of that healing is that sometimes, you know, you you might feel wrong by a person. Someone could, could do something that they, whether they know it or not, did something, and you're offended. You take offense to that. And I think a lot of times we wait. We wait to see what we're hoping for, or we're expecting or demanding that that person apologize and it never comes. So I think one thing that we can, can do to get ourselves back on track and to, to get some healing and to really be able to hopefully bring ourselves back together is to, is to not wait, to not, to not worry about or not need the apology. I don't necessarily need the apology because if, if I'm waiting for an apology that may never happen, if I'm waiting for something that may never come, that's going to set myself back. How much more am I going to be uh, stunted because I'm waiting for something that's completely out of my control? Yeah. So I think one thing that we can continue to do is we can continue to have open conversations. I think we need to, I, I think it's good to have a, a different opinions. I don't think we all should be the same, but I definitely think we need to make sure that we're not waiting for anyone to give us a hand or waiting for anyone to give us an apology or waiting for anyone to give us the 40 acres and a mule. It doesn't matter. Let's go out and get it ourselves and fight for what we know is right and continue to do that and continue to support others who are doing that same effort. Yeah. If their effort may not necessarily align the exact same way that we think it should be done. Hey, Richard, your, your mic's kind of cutting it out. So maybe if you want to see, you can tweak that a little bit. And what I want to do just to be respectful of your guys' time uh, to sort of wrap things up and celebrate Black History Month is go around. Leon, I'm going to start with you. But is there anybody in history that you really look up to? And or is there like a um, an untold, you know, Black American story that you feel like, hey, not enough people know about this and here's why you should know about it. So Kind of the same question for all of you, but Leon, we'll start with you. Well, wow, that is a that's that's huge. <laughs> um, I'm a huge uh, 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 Clarence Thomas fan. I don't think his his story is told enough. Thurgood Marshall, Booker, Booker T. Washington, uh, Frederick Douglass. Um, I think this conversation can't be had, and I joined it late, and that's my fault, but. I don't think it can be had in this short of time. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in pretty much everything that each one of these brothers um, um, uh, alluded to. And uh, I, I think that we need a much longer form uh, conversation if right, we're going to actually. Then let's dive in. Does everybody here have more time? I was just trying to be respectful, but everyone here got more time? I, I got more time. And actually, <laughs> I don't. But we, now that I'm here, you know, I'll blow that off. Let's do this. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. <laughs> All right, Leon, the floor is yours, man. What else do you want to cover? Well, a, a, a couple of things. Um, um, the school. I, I go back to this because to me, it's a it's a, a pretty uh, seminal issue. I, I, I think that uh, America has done a ton, more than any other country, to combat 
um, uh, uh, prejudices and, and systemic racism and bigotry and that sort of thing. I mean, um, my God, we fought a war over it. And those who aren't black, black people did die, but the majority of the people that died fighting for my freedom were white people. So I think that um, we, we can't dismiss um, this country's effort to shake the uh, shackles of, of that original sin off. I, I think too many times we minimize that. I think that if we're going to look at actual systemic racism, we, we have to look at the uh, uh, bigotry of low expectations in our, our public school system. I think that um, when we look at social services that don't uh, recognize uh, black fathers as fathers, just as sperm donors, and um, if we discipline our children, it must be abuse. Um, I, I think we need to look at things like that. I, I, I don't believe that um, where we're focusing our efforts is, is effective. I don't believe that there is systemic racism um, in uh, like the way our policing is set up. I believe that if, if African-Americans are committing the lion's share of crimes and the cops are there, uh, and they are trying to protect other black lives, and they're coming into contact with criminals. Then you're going to have uh, you're going to have adverse uh, uh, situations arise where people are going to die, and people are going to have the patina of of of, of racism and um, police abuse of power uh, due to bigotry when there is none. It's just the law of numbers. That that that's all it is. It's it, you look at it on a spreadsheet, it all works out. That's the data right there. And I, I believe that we really, really need to drill down on that because I don't believe that we are. We're not having an honest conversation when it comes to that as African-Americans and, and as uh, white Americans. We're, we're, we're simply not having an honest conversation about that. Reem, you want so to I want to, I want to, um, I'm going to stick up for public schools, which is definitely a new look for me because um, <laughs> I am pro school choice. <laughs> and I, so, but I, I, I do believe there is a bit of a thing in the school reform issue where we basically put way too much at the feet of schools. A lot of this battle is fought in the home and what, and, and that already has a lot of complex aspects to it. And Leon alluded to that in terms of like the disciplinary role of the father and basically having even just a stable two-parent household. Yeah. Um, so so uh, we go and we look at our schools and our, and our teachers and public officials and we say, hey, you have to fix this. And it's like, how realistic is that? We're asking them to be social service, daycare providers, uh, mom, dad, uh, mental health professionals, and a math teacher at the same time. And, and it's like, how fair is that? And it's, if they, oh, if the only thing they had to do was teach, I'm pretty sure their jobs would be a lot easier and the results will be a lot different. So I do understand our public schools are not perfect, but at the same time, we need to be very, very careful because we're, we're, we're demanding an awful lot of these people that we just, that like, um, like, like, um, our friend, uh, I'm gonna. I'm trying not to push your name. <laughs> like our, like our well-dressed friend said, <laughs> uh, uh, it, it 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 takes community buy-in. It does, and we can't lay it all at the feet of of, of our uh, uh, at our school teachers and say you screwed this up. And I also want to go ahead and build on what uh, what Richard pointed out as well. And 
And what he said is, like, you can't wait for an apology, and it's not going to come. And I'm going to tell you exactly why it's not going to come, because you got to try to get out of your black skin for just one second, right? I'm not black anymore. I'm a white man. I didn't own any slaves. I just go on about my day, minding my business. And you keep, I go, I turn on CNN, and I'm being told that I'm racist, and I'm a part of the problem. What am I apologizing for? For indifference? So it's kind of like, you have to be able to see it from that way. So it's like, no, you shouldn't sit around waiting for an apology. And the reason that I am even moderately successful is because my mother looked me dead in the eye and she told me I can be whatever I want to be. And I believed it. She didn't say, well, it's not going to work because you're black. She didn't say the only choices you have as a black man is playing ball or rap. She didn't put that foolishness in my head. She said, you can be whatever you want to be. You have to go out into that world and make it work for you. And I internalized that. So, uh, again, I know this kind of hits on to what Leon was saying is, is um, these low expectations and standards for our kids. They, we have to stop that. We have to challenge our children and we have to do that not just for black children. Hmm. It's important to point that out. There's poor white kids in West Virginia that are being told every day they'll never be nothing. And, it's, and, and, that, and that, exacerbates, uh, that exacerbates our tensions, our divisions our class warfare, and it also just, it just is demoralizing and and it's terrifying and we have to get away from that. And it's not necessarily, oh, well, because the teachers are saying it, sometimes that's true, but sometimes this messaging comes from, it comes from the radio. Sometimes it comes from the television and it's like, we have to get away from that. So the first thing we have to do is admit that one, every single child in this country has that potential to be great. And we need to tell them that. And we need to challenge them to be that. No more excuses. We can't say, oh, because you're black, it's going to be harder for me. Maybe that's true. But saying that does nothing for them. <laughs> so is is that's kind of where I see it. And that's what Richard was building off of. My, uh, I, uh, my family has done dealt with the issue of incarceration. My dad's been to prison. My brother's been to prison. My um, uncle's been to prison. And, and, and what I see is a lot of people come out and they believe that, well, there's no opportunities for me. There's nothing I can do except for go back to that life. And then they end up right back. And the ones who don't believe that rebound a lot faster and better because they are determined to rebound a lot faster and better. And they aren't going to accept defeat and they're not going to feel like a victim. So and again, like I don't believe this is a left right issue because I see I see issues on both sides. I, I don't like being a lot of people accuse me of being some kind of tokenism for uh, uh, for conservatism. But it's like those are my fundamental beliefs. I'm not do, I'm not staying this to impress white people. This is just what I believe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so is it's, it's these. And, and again, it's like you always have those issues. And that's why I was like, I don't. And, and where I'm pushing back on Leon and stuff is like, I, I don't believe that it's like you could just say, oh, the schools are schools. And it's like, Leon, I see the way you raise your kids. And that's why they're, they're shaping up pretty well. And it's because of your presence. And 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 and, and if you ever just charge a, a school, a public school, private school or any kind of school, charter school to raise your children, you're going to have problems because mm -hmm. they are not equipped to do it. They are a part of the process, not the entire process. So I want to touch on one thing with you guys, and Raheem alluded to this, um, and Mature will go to you if you want, but the fact that, you know, if you look at, at just data, okay, you take skin color, you look at data, families that are married and they stay married typically have more wealth, which means they're going to have higher education, you know, all those kind of things. 
And the challenge that I see, at least from the 1994 crime bill and in the past, is the high incarceration rates of black American men. And now you start to split the families up. The mom's trying to, you know, make ends meet. You're raising the child. I mean, that that is so hard to do. And Richard, I saw you shaking your head if you want to jump in on that, but just your your point of view on that. Oh, we lost him. Okay, now. Now we're now. Yep. Okay, there we go. Yeah, now I can hear you guys great. And so I, I think you mentioned up a really good point, Chris, is that nationally, on a national level, that's absolutely the case. It's it's recognizing and seeing that it's disproportionate the level of numbers and how quickly and how much how how much faster the our, our judicial system will punish people of color specifically african-american males or by far i mean it's, it's littered i mean we know that i don't think that's an argument necessarily but i think it's it's something to recognize and that i i think i'll i'll kind of circle back a little bit uh um to leon's point just about the school system i think for me and just recognizing that when we i can't really necessarily fix a single parent family home I can't really pre prevent or I can't really say or I don't have really have much of a say to, to choose my upbringing or choose how a person is going to be born or what they have. But I have an education board that I, that I can sit on and vote for. I have uh, my politician that I could write. I have a senator that I can call up if I ever have an issue. So there, I feel like there's, there's institutions and things in place that we do have control over. I do at least have a say in. And so I feel like in recognizing how valuable and how how much my voice matters and how much my vote matters and how much my opinion matters in those avenues, I feel like those should be the areas where these conversations are happening. Those should be that I should be able to call and I should be able to ask, granted, it's not necessarily my math teacher's fault that I'm expecting to do all these different things, but that's still a vocation that they chose. And if I want my school and I, if I don't want to choose to have to put my kids into a charter school or a private school or anywhere else, but I want my education system to be better, then I am going to ask for more. I'm not going to just let it slide or let it just pass over and be like, oh, you know what, mm -hmm. that's, that's not for that time. Like, no, I'm, I'm going to be looking for that because this is where they need to be because it's, it's only going to get better if we have better education, if we have more, if yeah. we have more. We can't have more if we don't have more, if there's no more access to, to be able to have those resources. Yes. So, and I think it's just, it's an opportunity. And, and, and again, I don't, I'm not going to, not going to go into statistics of why, you know, of, of our people of color, specifically all of, well, outside of Chris, all of us typically <laughs> would have a much higher percentage of being, of if, if we committed a crime or if something happened to us about how bad and how faster all of us would be affected by our criminal, or by our criminal justice system. And I don't think it's fair. And I don't think it's right. And I think there's, there's numerous amount of things that we could do differently. But yes. looking at specifically here in Fargo and Moorhead and just in North Dakota, it's, that's not that way. A lot of people don't know that. Like, it's actually mm -hmm. not, like, not to excuse it, not to, to push it aside. But Africa, there's not that many African-American men really in North Dakota anyway. So we're not, we're not populating our prisons. But our Native American brothers and sisters mm -hmm. are disproportionately affected here yes. in North Dakota. Yes. But people don't see that because it's not, it's not on media and it's not being shared. But that's a true fact. It's, and it's such an important variable. I mean, that, that's why I brought up the family piece, because of the fact when you think back to what happened also with Native Americans, we literally would go and, and just 
rip the families apart. And I just, guys, we, let's do this again. But for time's sake, I'm being told we need to wrap. So Mature, I'm going to give you the last word, sir. Does anything else you want to put a button on here, share? The floor is yours. Thank you, Chris. And thank you, everyone. I, I kind of feel like when we talk about public school, you guys are hitting home. <laughs> I have seen it all. And, and uh, what I see there is like uh, the success of a kid is, does not belong to the whole school. I think it belongs to all of us. And I see with the people that work with me at the Moorhead Public School, they have a passion for every child that work that walk through our doors to see them succeed and, and we see them equally. And, and, and because I said that, there are some barriers. Some kid might not have a device at home, might not have an internet at home to catch up or might not have a parent in a home to help them with their homework or if they have a question, they can come back to school and, and, and do it that way. But I think being successful, I think it involves a lot of things. I came to this country and as a teenager, I had to live by myself and, and, and work, but still have attitude to go to school. So, so I think it has to involve some attitude too and some kind of encouragement from, a, from somebody or a guidance. So if you are there, like I am now with my kids, I, I do check on your papers. Did you get your homework done? Do you have homework to do? So, so I think that the process then just landing up to, to school, the school are doing all that they can. And, and if I say America have the best educational system in the world, you guys would think like I'm lying. I'm not lying. It's the truth. It's the facts. And if you go into the best universities in the world, about top tens are within America. And, 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 and even here with the public school, it's free. You don't have to pay anything. A parent don't have to pay anything except taxes. But but we still have to do something to push our kid. And and and, and what I always say, like going back to Black History Month, I, I think it's an American history. Yeah. With the power or the mobilization from our white brothers to 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 accept that and, and fight together. Even some of the people that have died in the Civil War are white American. So it was an American history. And, and without them or the table of this conversation, I think they are the one that we need to mobilize to accept that and, and move forward to change, and especially the people that control the economy, the people that control the politics or the policies to make those policies accepted. They can do that and they did that. And, and, and without like the grassroots people here, like individually to accept that, it is the right thing to treat everyone fairly. We won't get anywhere. So thank you. Thank you, you guys. Great conversation. I appreciate you giving us more time than I anticipated. And look, let's do this more often because I think it's a very, very important conversation. So um, if we, if you want, I can have uh, producer Anna get everybody's contact, at least their emails, and we can keep this conversation going. And mature, I think many of us are like, you know what? I need to, I need to ride your coattails and help get in that school system and and help out how we can. So everybody, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. I want to get the number to Matua's uh, Taylor. I would like that, please. <laughs> right? Right? I know, right? I was like, dang, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, all right, everybody, have a great weekend. Stay warm, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Take care. Thank you, Chris. Bye.